Welcome to the Digital Tool Crib. I'm just playing with my toys here. Um, we have a very special guest with us today. I think right off the hop, we don't need any introductions for Jason and myself. You guys are all probably sick of hearing our voice when you're, you're listening to this. But we have Peter Kelly with us today. From uh, He's the chair of the Department of, of Trades and Technology. So welcome, Peter. Hey, Thank thanks you. very much, Chad. Awesome. And we are here to talk about all things HyFlex, which is a very big buzzword in education right now. It doesn't matter what school you're at. It seems like we're all talking HyFlex. And any conversation you have about HyFlex, it seems like we're all talking about different things. So I think today, let's, I think what we're going to try to do is unpack a little bit about what that means here at Medicine Hat College. Yeah, Peter, why don't you go ahead and start, you know, like Chad was saying, there's lots of different definitions of HyFlex. I think you use the classic definition, but why don't you go ahead? What's the definition you're using for HyFlex? So the definition that I'm using and that we're trying to follow in our team at the, the Built Environment Engineering Technology uh, program at the college, um, Brian Beatty, who I think is kind of generally regarded as the grandfather of HyFlex, where essentially HyFlex gives the students the, the power and the choice to participate face-to-face -face in the classroom, um, synchronous or online or asynchronous online whenever they want to, uh, whether that's week to week for the whole semester, day to day, they, they have that choice depending on how they feel they can best engage and how it works and fits in with their lifestyle. Great. Awesome. So what, why don't you take a little bit on your journey here, Peter? Like what, what made you want to start investigating this whole model? Um, it's probably not any one thing. It was kind of a, a pile of experiences and over time and kind of where we were conversations we're having in our group and things that we're seeing kind of happening in education and our own experiences. Um, so it was, you know, somebody like Elio Colasso in our program who's been saying for years that, you know, online is the future and we need to start figuring that out and COVID, which, you know, just turned everything on its head and like, hey, the, online was no longer a choice. It was just the, the way things were. Um, and then wanting to find ways of how can we engage a broader audience uh, and also be that, that key word flexible for our students that so we're starting to see that we are having more mature students coming to the program with a variety of different backgrounds and lifestyles that you know, they, they needed some wiggle room to be able to complete their education, but look after home lives and kids and work and all that kind of stuff. And so I was actually sitting down with Chad one day and talking, saying like, you know, back in like 1993, when I was going to Carleton University, um, my mom would, went back to university at the same time as well, but she was working full time. Uh, but Carlton was doing something that I think was pretty unique at the time, which was they basically had a, a television channel. And so they would broadcast um, live, or I shouldn't say live, but they broadcast over this television channel, different courses. And so that was how my mom was taking a lot of her classes. Depending on when they were being broadcast, she might sit in the living room with her, with her notebook and watch the class as it was being broadcast. And I remember her going just crazy on my dad to make sure that the 
our beta our beta max was recording the uh, the <laughs> lectures uh, so that she could have them to go back over so there's the recorded lectures but then you could also get the the videotapes from the the library at carlton as well and i remember being in some of those classes on campus and there's a little recording booth at the at the back and there's the, the television camera and the sound person back there and so i was saying to chad like you know we were doing this like back in the 90s there's got to be you know an equivalent of that now that we can figure out because we want to do online but we don't have the number of students to support having multiple sections of, of courses and then chad said yeah it's called high flex and then i was just like squirrel and off i go <laughs> yeah you know, one of the things I wanted to, you know, in the definition that you're using, BD's classical definition, you really focus on student choice. Students can, students can choose whether they're going to come face to face. They can choose whether or not they want to participate synchronously online, or they can choose whether or not they participate asynchronously online. That puts a lot of demands on the faculty member. So what are some of the initial struggles you faced as you were, as you were moving in this direction? Because Face-to-face -face education, I, th I think we know what it takes to do that well. Not that everybody does it well, but, but we, we kind of know the elements that go into that. And I would say the same thing for online. Like We know that we can do online really poorly, but we also know what it takes to do it really well. But this high-flex environment where you're teaching both online and face-to-face, -face, what were some of the initial struggles you, you faced and the, and the ways you overcame them with some of the strategies you used? So I'd say the first one is probably just straight up time that for us, we're delivering an existing program, um, whether it was the, the transition, you know, with all the COVID response and, and everything that went with that, or the decision that we made to offer the program fully high flex this year. It, you know, if you've got a new program that's, um, come, that's coming on, when I say online, not literally like web online, but you've got a, a new program coming through. Typically you'll hire SMEs to go and develop all the, the courses and the curriculum and everything for whatever delivery format that you're going to be using. That wasn't really an option for us, but given the circumstances of, again, the last couple of years is like, you know, this is the best solution for us to be able to deliver some consistent um, courses and curriculum to the students. So the biggest thing was the was the time we, we couldn't go and you know every instructor doesn't have the time to go and redevelop all of their courses 100% perfect for for high flex. So probably the biggest thing was having to pick and choose your your battles, you know, there there's sometimes there's that low hanging fruit where it's like yeah this is pretty, you know, there's some things that are pretty straightforward to say, you know, they could go one way or the other on um, any between of those modalities without a whole lot of um, challenge. And other ones might have been requiring some more thought. And so that's where you had to kind of direct your effort and kind of recognize that it, it might not be perfect, but it's still gonna work. So when, when you're designing this and you've got the students in the classroom, and now you've also got students that are not in the classroom that might be coming in synchronously, and then you have others that are kind of checking it out asynchronously. So they're watching the videos later on. I think the big question I have, and we'll start going into the course design and try running down that rabbit trail in a second here, but like what, what can we do or what do you do in, in your group to keep all three modes engaged? Like that's, to me, it seems like that might be one of the biggest 
hurdles that HyFlex might have because face-to-face, it's fairly easy to keep people engaged. Um, synchronously, I can, it's somewhat able to, but the problem being that, and we've all been there, watching a three-hour video is exhausting and it doesn't matter how engaging the instructor is, your eyes just in brain can't handle it. And then you have the students that are, are watching and kind of, they almost might feel disconnected by just watching the asynchronous video. So what have you guys done to kind of mitigate that? You know what, across our team, it's been a whole spectrum of different approaches, just depending on where kind of own kind of experience and skill sets happen to happen to lie. Um, Elio Colasso um, spent a whole summer um, pre-recording a ton of videos, like two minute, five minute videos on say how to um, take you through the whole kind of learning um, progress of how to use different software applications, for example. And he's got all that on YouTube. Um, there's, you know, when it comes to, like, you know, the traditional type lecture, some, you know, some things I would approach of, you know, I'd try to pre-record these things so that students can have them to, to use at their own time because, you know, that instructor sitting in front of the room going wah, wah, wah for 45 minutes or an hour was never an awesome experience to begin with. And mm-hmm. trying to like pay attention to that on your, tablet or your computer monitor at home is excruciating. So trying to trying to pre-record some of that stuff or find some other way of, of getting that information out there, you know, very early on, I started hearing, you know, 20 minutes was the magic number. Don't go over 20 minutes. And then somebody else is like, oh, actually don't go over seven minutes. And so I try to keep some of those things in mind of like, you know, something that I might, you know, it, when I first started teaching, I would say, all right, my experience was you, you sat and lectured for an hour and then you were done. And, but going online students were like, this is like, and you'd hear for like, this is like, I can't watch this stuff. Like it takes three hours to go through a 45 minute lecture. And mm-hmm. so I say, like, all right, I got to take that to heart. And so try to break it up into smaller pieces um, was kind of the, one of the first steps of getting into that. So some things, again, the time component, some things we had time to, to pre-record and put out there, you know, like the math lessons and stuff like that. And then sometimes, you know, we don't have time for that. And so it would be just live. So we got students in the classroom, we got students that are live online and we're gonna have our quote unquote lecture. But I would still try to at least be cognizant of keep it into like, you know, a 15 or a 20 minute chunk and then we'll take a break and do an activity or just go get a coffee or whatever it is. And then we'll do the next and we'll just record that. And that's available online to whoever's going to be asynchronous or if you were live at the time, you can watch it again later. So there was kind of a whole spectrum there to, to get going. One of the things I'm taking away from you, Peter, that I just think is so awesome and so refreshing is a real sensitivity to the learner. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, when you talked about the, you know, the, the students at the very beginning, you know, the new majority of students, the mature learners, uh, perhaps they have, the, you know, they have to balance their home life obligations with trying to go to school and, and those kinds of things. But the other thing that you're talking about right now, I think is, you know, that, that kind of learner focused approach, you know, what, how do I, how do I teach in a way that's going to reach the learner? And uh, Terry Anderson had, had identified this challenge some time ago that, that sometimes students would benefit more, they'd benefit more from being part of a learning community but what they really wanted was the ability to have control over their education, kind of individual pathway. And it seems like HyFlex offers both, offers both that if the student says, I wanna be part of this environment 
and that's going to benefit me, that's great. But if I want to do it on my own, if I need to, if I need to do it individually, because that's that's the way my life circumstance is working out, then I need to do it. And so it seems like HyFlex has the opportunity to reach this new majority of, of students that have have to manage multiple obligations. Yeah, it really does. And this year we have again that full spectrum. We've got um, students in Calgary and Red Deer who were just looking for an opportunity to be able to go back to school, but couldn't actually pick up and leave where they were at. So this has been fabulous for them. There's one guy who sounds like he works mostly at night with a power engineering job, but he and his wife have started a coffee shop. And so he's really liking the flexibility. And we have students here that are like, you know, single parent with kids and working and stuff. So it's been, so far it seems to have been a huge draw for, for people with those different life circumstances that the traditional post-secondary model, they just simply wouldn't have been able to go back to school, not without absorbing some pretty hard financial hits to, to try to do that. You, one thing you said that really resonated with me too is, I mean, it, what I like about HyFlex is it's, it's very student-centered or it has to be designed student-centered. Um, if we do, and then we just, we kind of alluded to that and you mentioned too, that if we're just doing lecture capture and then record and then saving the recordings and putting them on our LMS, that's not high flex. That's that's not taking to the students into account. And when you one thing that kind of made my heart swell a bit was when you said that the students said to you that one time about the whole like that forty five minute lecture took us three hours to get through, and you said we had to reevaluate. This is a brand new mode of teaching, and I think what we need to also do is we have to be graceful to ourselves that we're not going to get it right right off the hop, and if this is student-centered, maybe we need to bring them into this conversation and collaborate more with them as opposed to just speaking at them, but more speaking to them. Because we, when we get into this mode of, of just lecture, like you said, like maybe that 45-minute lecture was never working in the first place. Well, now we've got an opportunity to kind of really bring the students into the design of this and, and how can, and I understand that there's going to be some rote learning that has to go and we can't have this kind of open pedagogy, but there are a lot of opportunities here where we can step down off that stage as we're the sage on the stage and, and come along and guide our students. And it really causes us to rethink how we design our courses. I think I was in a, a conversation with Nikki Ren, Peter, you know, Nikki and Jason, you'll get to meet her one time. She's an assessment specialist. I was talking to her today about it. And one thing she was saying was like, we've got to remember that like lecture is a tool and sometimes the tool is needed but we can't rely on just one tool to make it work. So she said when we, but she's, she's a huge fan of Brian Beatty, and she was saying like Brian Beatty talks about how when you design a, a high flex course, you need to design it as an asynchronous course and then use the face-to-face as a, a, a tool. And so that was something I really appreciated about what she said. And then it, it seems like that's an area that you guys are really kind of starting to delve a little bit into. Yeah. And through experience in this last year, I would 100% agree with that. The reality is that it's, it's tough. And especially if you're starting from the point where, you know, the courses are designed for that face-to-face already. And if you're not getting that time to go and rebuild, then there, there is that challenge. And, and again, just if your whole realm of experience has been teaching face-to-face, it's it's a new way of thinking for sure that it, and everybody knows it's hard to get out of your current way of thinking and for a variety of different reasons and so that was i would say one of the 
challenges that I had is, it, you know, as an instructor, when you feel like you're in that survival mode sometimes, mm. that what do you revert to? You revert to what you know. And so even if you're reverting to what you know, and there's, there's, you know, you need to do that sometimes, you also need to just keep in the back of your mind, okay, so how is this impacting, you know, those different modalities? And how am I still going to address that? Hey, I want to kind of take on, you know, launching off from what Chad asked, you know, in terms of the design piece, and then doing what you were just talking about, going back to what you know, I kind of want to think about, you know, when we think about Hyfrex, I want to think about the people, the process, and the tools, you know, and how those things interact with within a, you know, maybe we can take them all, all we could take them individually, or maybe I'll just throw them out, all at you, you know, throw, throw them at you all at once. The first is the people. Right. And the first is you, Peter, you work in an, in a technological environment, you bought your own equipment, you really figured out what you were doing. So I don't want to underestimate the importance of you and your technological comfort with doing high flex. Like there's a reason why I think you were able to move in this direction. And then there's the process. Like if you could talk about what a lesson plan looks like, how you move, because as Chad's talking about how lectures are tools, sometimes we, we find out that some of the other elements of the lesson plan help our lectures make more impact. Right. So what's the process? And then talk about the products. Like one of the things that I think is important to talk about when we talk about you doing high flex. So I want you to talk about you and I want you to talk about doing the, the process part. But then the high flex environment that you teach in, you have all of your students on a team's environment when you're teaching. So I want you to comment a little bit about that as you think about the interaction between people, process and tools. Like how, how does that look like in, in your environment? And and, and again, don't don't underestimate the importance of your your role in that. If you could just talk about that, that'd be great. Whatever comes to your mind. Oh, that's a, that's a heck of a lot all at once. Um, <laughs> and go. <laughs> <laughs> so the people, <laughs> the people thing. I think number one, like when it comes to teaching and learning, like it's a two way street, and you can't put it all on the instructors and you can't put it all on the students. It, there, there's an equal participation mm -hmm. there. And if, and if you don't, if you're not all on board on either side of that equation, then it's not going to be the experience that you're hoping for. So one of the things is you have to want to teach high flex or you have to want to try it. Um, you have to be a willing participant. And I, and if you're, because again, like we've all had that, that place, right? Like if you're being forced into doing something you don't want to do, you're not going to engage with it the same mm -hmm. way. So that's the, that's the first thing um, I would say is making sure that the people want to embark on that journey. And so with the, the BEAT program, that was a conversation that we had before deciding to go there. We had some conversations about doing it. What is high flex? We had a vague idea of what was going to be involved, but we had some of those conversations to make sure everybody was on board before committing to that direction. I think is really important. Um, the, the process and the lesson plans, that was that was a learning curve and that was a lot of kind of figuring it out uh, as you go. And so, you know, I had started taking, I, you know, I did my master's online. Um, I'd taken some other classes online. Some of the other instructors had different types of online um, experiences. So we all had a, a bit of a realm of experience that we could draw from. Uh, I started taking some 
uh, classes from VCC and their PIDP program. Uh, and then, you know, as I got kind of kernels just in our own, you know, WhatsApp group, we'd share little kernels back and forth about things that we thought we would want to try. And so the process really kind of evolved. And like I said, it was, you know, it was trying to take that low hanging fruit. What, what can we take that we're doing already and run with it? And then what did we need to rethink? Um, I'd heard of the, I hadn't heard the term backwards design, but I kind of had a exposure to that philosophy of, uh, of curriculum design before. So I'd kind of taken that approach anyway, trying to go into, into the courses that I was teaching. Um, but I found that I had to keep adapting along the way as I was getting feedback from students. And some of that was actively elicited, you know, just at the end of a class or whatever, you know, how did that go type of check-ins with the, the students. And sometimes they'd just be outright, like they'd send me an email about, you know, something just, you know, fell flat or they really liked something. And I don't know that I really had a process at the beginning, aside from thinking of like, what do we need to be able to do by the end of the semester and how are we going to get there? And so that was, I, I really had kind of two steps in my backward design. What do we need to be able to do by the end of the semester and how are we going to get there? Um, the process and the tools, again, that was just what needs to happen. All right. The students that are online need to be able to see and hear what's going on in the classroom. All right. Well, that sounds like microphones and webcams. So, all right. I dragged in a tripod and some microphones and webcams from home and started, you know, cobbling together a, a high flex classroom and using something like I started hearing about using, you know, different, you know, video switching systems and different types of microphone arrays. And I started looking at this and like, this is going to be a huge expensive endeavor that we don't even know if it's going to work. Uh, we don't know if we're really going to want to do this when I first started looking at it over a year ago. And so it was, you know what, we're going to cobble it together and we'll give it a beta test and then we'll, we'll go from there. And so the, the tools were really more of like, what do we, what are we trying to do? And then try to find the tools to, to do it. I find it funny with, in regards to the tools, and I think it's an important question because every conversation I'm in in HyFlex always results, it starts almost, with people who don't understand it, it starts with, well, what technology do I need? They always start with technology. I think the conversation we are having means we start with pedagogy and then we move to technology. But technology is still, it's a tool that we need to acknowledge. So we often joke, and I was on a podcast or listening to a podcast the other day too, that was talking about HyFlex and it was talking about HyFlex in the sense that you can have the ca Cadillac, I'm, I'm dating myself, you can have the Tesla of, of HyFlex where you've got the PTZ cameras and you've got the, you know, you get the, the wicked mics going in the room and you got three different cameras set up and all the way around. But what you guys have done and beat is you don't have the, the Tesla. What you've done is you've gone to the junkyard and you've found that old Volkswagen Beetle and you've pulled it out and you've cobbled it together and it's working, right? Like talk about some of the actual, because people are going to want to know what, like, what are some of the webcams you're using? What are some of the mics you're using? What, what, how do you, how do the students look at each other? Like, what are you guys doing in regards to those tools? So for us, so to start with our classroom, it, everything that we do is in a computer room. So all the students have computers at their desk, which is kind of a, a plus right there um, for us. The, the room was set up with dual projectors 
um, mm -hmm. already. So there is there's a lot of really great pieces in place just by the nature of the of the program. And I would be I would love to go and have discussions on other types of classrooms because it's, it's been fun going to other rooms. But this is what we had kind of to start with. Um, so going in from that spot of like, OK, students need to see us and need to hear us. And that, that us is the the other students and myself in the classroom. If you're online, you need to hear us and see us. So that was the, the starting point. So um, I had a couple of webcams at, uh, at home. So I dragged in a webcam. I was like, what do they need to see? Well, they need to see me if I'm like, you know, at the um, podium, you know, on the computer, you know, doing demonstrations and stuff. So, all right. So I put in a, I don't know what it was. It was some, something I'd bought online from Amazon. Um, but I, you know, basic Logitech, Microsoft, whatever webcam that was just, you know, as this is right now, webcam on my monitor and say, okay, um, you know, I seem to be doing, you know, we use the whiteboard a fair amount. So I brought in a tripod that we had already. And I put another similar type of webcam on a tripod at the front of the room, pointing at the whiteboard. And, and that's where it started for a microphone. I found a, uh, I don't know if it's pronounced Fifine, Fifine, um, wireless lavalier microphone, again, from Amazon. I think it was about 75 bucks. Um, again, just being that conscious that I didn't want to go asking for money because one, I didn't want the process to slow down. I wanted something that was in my sphere of control. And so I, I think it might have been you, Chad, that I went to and, hey, can I spend 75 bucks or whatever on a microphone? I was like, yep, yeah, all right. And I'm, to be honest, I might not have even asked permission first. I can't remember for sure, but we spoke about it. Um, we'll talk about this and, one off air. And that's, where, and that's where it started. And one of the, and again, the, the student engagements um, I loved is that, so in that classroom, that all worked well for that lecture lesson delivery type of thing. But when it came to the the lab time, when it's just going around, you know, students are working on whatever computer model they're doing at their desks, and going around, answering what questions might come up. Well, in the face to face environment, everybody that's else in the room can kind of, you know, pop an ear over in that direction to hear what's going on, or they might lean over and see, uh, see what's going on in the computer. But the students online, couldn't see that. And so it was actually um, one of the students who was online says like, Hey, Peter, can you put up a another web camera? Or can you turn one around so we can see what's we can hear you talking, but there's no context. Right. And so it's even like, oh, I, I, I tried to go off camera, but I'm still on camera. But if I'm <laughs> off camera, and you hear the voice, you're still starting to disengage, right? Yeah. yeah. So the students would, they're like, it would really help if we at least had some context to what else is going on. So I was like, yeah, sure. And so I think I had a camera in my office and I think it was pretty much, I think we took a break and I went and pulled the camera out of the, out of my office. And I put that one in the lab and it's like, Hey, how does that look? All right. It worked. So, um, so that was again, just working who are the people and, and what do they need? So the students online said they wanted some context. And so that's what we did. So then is you start becoming a bit of your own producer. Mm-hmm. Because then it's like, all right, so I'm I'm doing this or that, teaching these different things in the different parts of the room, and remembering to go onto Teams and you know hit that you know change camera, and students would be like, yeah, Peter can't see you anymore or something like that, and it's like, oh yeah, forgot to change the camera. Mm -hmm. But 
you go through that a bit and it started to become a little bit more natural. At some point you put me on, Chad put me onto that uh, OBS bot or OBSpot um, PTZ camera. Again, it's like 250 bucks. So it's like, you're like, yeah, go, you know, 250 bucks. That still costs less than the three cameras that we had going. And so we put that and that was awesome. Now I don't have to be that level of producer because it just followed me around. <laughs> Yeah. When we when we post this episode, we'll have to post uh, Peter's junkyard. Yeah, totally <laughs> in the show notes. <laughs> Peter's, Peter's junkyard equipment. One of the things that I'm taking away, Peter, as we're talking about this, and I don't want to, I don't want to um, gloss over them. There's a, the first is just more of a comment, like just the deep reasons that you you've given people some deep reasons to embark on this journey. And I think that's so important that they have to, they have to want to embark on that journey. One of the things I think we saw from the pandemic is when people were forced online and they resisted online, they didn't do online well because they just didn't want to. Right. So we can't force people into high flex situations because if we force people into high flex situations, it's not going to, it's not going to be great, but you've really started to articulate some really powerful reasons to embark on that journey. But one of the things that I take away from the conversation is that you actually had people to go on that journey with you mm. and that importance of creating community. Like you were talking about mm. Elio creating those two to five minute videos. Like he spent all summer creating these two to five minute videos and you have other people within the, the, the beat program who want to teach in that. Can you talk about how, how important community has been as you've gone on this, on this journey? Cause it's not just in a solo journey from what it sounds like. It sounds like a collective journey. And then it, from everything that you've said so far, students were with you. Students were with you on this journey too. But did you encounter any uh, student resistance to to high flex and, and these kinds of in, in these kinds of things? So, you know, uh, yeah, community, the importance of community, and then and then student resistance. Hey, so community one hundred and ten percent, and and that wasn't just in our program either. Like that that was definitely part of it. But literally it was, you know, following people on Twitter or LinkedIn and, you know, I'd show stuff at, hey, you know, hey, tried this, anybody else try something different or what have you. Um, there, there's a whole lot of people out there across the province, across the country who are trying high flex and have tried different things and have different questions and, and all of that. And so being able to, to connect in with some of those people. And sometimes it might only be once, sometimes it might be more than once, but you know, information is power. So the more, the more information you have, the better. And, and you may or may not use all of those things, but they still help to inform your, your own decisions that you, you make about how to move forward. Yeah. You really created intentionally a smart network. Mm -hmm. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, I can say, um, yes, you have. Yeah. And just watch like this. It's like, look at the people you've connected with through the conversations you've had about it, right? It's amazing once you get out there into the community and start talking and suddenly like you're talking to Maven Grindy from Lakeland and you're talking to Lucy Griffith from BCC and Sally Vinden from BI. Like there's all these people that suddenly you start connecting to. And then we like, not only are you talking about high flex, but now you have a community of, you can talk about anything pedagogical. And they're there to answer. Like that's one thing I love about being in this industry is that the fact that people are so willing to give up their time, drop everything to talk about and support and give advice on. And I think that's just 
that's one of the beautiful takeaways from this whole thing, I think, is like Jason was saying, you've got this beautiful community now. Yeah, and even so just an hour uh, in the, the beat program, we generally try to get together every Friday to and without much of a planned agenda, or even if we do have a planned agenda, we never get past the first item. Sometimes we don't even get there. <laughs> um, but we, we had an awesome conversation about just high flex and some of that, you know, how to engage with students in different ways, depending on, you know, the different things you're trying to trying to do. And not a week goes by that we don't have some of these conversations about, you know, how are the students doing? How are we doing? Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm, I'm having trouble with something or I tried something that was really cool or what have you. And for those conversations to keep happening is huge. And again, you keep involving the students mm -hmm. in that. So I was, you know, I started using Jamboard a lot. That was kind of one of my go-to things the, this last semester. But I was hearing through, I'm going to say, cult of pedagogy when she started talking about um, different types of discussion boards and one that was using more of a like a, an audio and video type of discussion board instead of written so I talked to my students and like hey you know like we've been using written discussion boards but I heard about this you know do you want to give it a try and a bunch mm -hmm. of them like no like we just got this written one figured out we don't want to learn something new again it's like okay awesome like we don't have to but it was better that I checked in with them and yeah. asked them if they wanted to try it, as opposed to me just saying, this sounds really cool. We're going to do it because then I would have thrown something at them that apparently they wanted nothing to do with it. So, I mean, that was one of the, the biggest problems. I think when we first all moved online is we showered the students with content and we caused this cognitive overload. And I, I think that's one thing I think a lot, a lot of us have learned to dial back on that, that content. But I think by with, with the use of uh, HyFlex and with all these different tools now that we can use all these Web 2.0 tools and as we're moving into Web 3, like there's going to be all these cool new tools that we want to play. And people like you and I and, and Jason, we get excited about that stuff. So we want to play with them. But we've got to realize that we're, we can learn it. But then our students also have to learn it at the same time that they're learning their subject matter. So we have to be very cognizant of the fact that when we're launching these new exciting things that we find exciting, Perhaps the students are feeling like this is cool, but oh my gosh, this is like a little too much right now. So I, I appreciate that you check in. Like that's such an important. Well, I've heard a lot about that, especially when things, you know, I don't, I've lost track of the years now, March of whatever year it was where, you know, <laughs> we suddenly got dumped online and it was, it was the wild west. Mm -hmm. And like there would be like one instructor is using you know, Google Meet, another one's using Zoom yeah. and another one's using Blackboard Collaborate and another and and the students are like, they're absolutely shell shocked because it was like, I've got four different communication platforms that I'm using and some yeah. of them are using, you know, Google Docs and some. And so one of the another one of the conversations we had is like, yeah, there's lots of different tools out there, but let's pick a path and get on it together as far as that goes and so um teams was our we ended up going with with teams so everybody in the program is on team so the students don't have to worry about all those different platforms and hey peter are any of your program or course level outcomes tied to high flex because it seems to me that it's 
a very authentic working environment that teams these days are more geographically distant mm -hmm. and you might have people around the globe that you know they can't participate in this particular planning meeting but they could watch the recording they could read the minutes they could they could follow up so i'm just wondering if there's any deliberate connection between the program or the course learning outcomes and the actual form of delivery which seems to me to mimic a, a lot of aspects of the the real world of work hmm. um not directly uh, to tell you the truth, i haven't thought about what you're saying there specifically but I guess my answer would go towards the course outcomes are about the course outcomes, not about the technology that we're using to deliver That's material right. for those outcomes. So, but in the course outline of the syllabus, there's other portions of that that address expectations. And so there can be ex expectations around how you participate and engage as opposed to it being outcomes, because you know expectations and outcomes are, are two different things in a certain respect. Um, that said, um, if you take a course like technical communications, there are outcomes around how do you communicate professionally as part of a team. And so I can't remember exactly what they are, but there are outcomes in that realm. And so, yeah, learning how to use Microsoft Teams and stuff like that falls under those those outcomes but the outcome isn't you will learn how to use microsoft teams you will learn how to use technology for communication in a business environment mm -hmm. teams is one of those things i hadn't heard of teams five years ago so five years from now is teams going to exist is it going to be something else so we don't have an outcome about teams we have an outcome about communication which is fairly meta and i think that's I look at it like the, the tools that we have in place now are it's just the beginning. You've mentioned earlier that the world has shrank, right? Like we geographic borders are no longer issues now because people can work remote and beam in at any place. So it's almost like when we start to, when we reevaluate our outcomes, we almost need to look at that and say, okay, and it's the same, I've, I've had this conversation in regards to trades as well. Subject matter is subject matter. And if I'm talking at somebody, there's always a video they can watch. But if I can collaborate with somebody, that's something where they're going to actually learn teamwork. And so as we reevaluate our outcomes, which we all do at some point, maybe we need to start talking about how to use these tools. And it doesn't matter if it's Zoom, Teams, Collaborate or whatever, it's a video conferencing tool is a video conferencing tool. So there's best practices that go along with that. So we do maybe need to consider rolling those into our curriculum somehow. One thing that, that Royal Roads did very well when I did my master's online as well, was the first two weeks were spent completely on making sure we were comfortable with the learning management system and with the video conferencing tools that they had picked and the different ways that we were going to connect. And so we, we were, we had to set up our own discord servers. We had to set up a Slack server. We had to use teams. They made us go through all that stuff at the first two weeks of the course. And I thought this was amazing. Like that's what we should be doing. So it's something that, yeah, I think it's something we really need to consider as we move forward. Yeah. And it's funny. So I think it was, I'm trying to remember which course it was, but there's one of, I think it was our capstone last year. That was going to hesitantly say um, that was the first um, course of the college that officially used supported by the college um, teams. And God, I'm forgetting where I was going already with that. The, 
the students um, appreciated learning that professional tool, like, you know, mm -hmm. Google Meet's really neat, Zoom's really neat, but that Teams that kind of brings in that whole Microsoft um, ecosystem, a lot of businesses use mm -hmm. that Microsoft ecosystem. Um, so when we had an advisory committee meeting at the end of that semester and the industry heard that students were using teams they were like that is awesome because mm -hmm. we barely know how to use it so if you got students that are coming out that know how to use it they can they can elevate our business and help to train the the people that we have here already on on how to go to that next level that's awesome i want to be cognizant of time because we're we're going to run out soon and but i wanted to talk about trades specifically and high flex and I, I want to talk about CAD 174, Peter, because that's like that's an instance where we have course a course where it was that your students would go into the shops and they would actually have to physically use hammers and, and all that. And you and I had a discussion with the other coordinators and it was it almost got a little heated. And we <laughs> oh, and I say almost it did get a little heated. And but we did. We came up with some pretty cool ideas, and then they were now they all of those guys, and I'm sure some of them are listening right now. Like they're on board with it. it, it we found ways to assess, and I guess that's the the core issue that I want to talk about is like how do we assess these these outcomes in different contexts, especially when we're dealing with like a trade situation where there is going to be some hands on stuff. And I I have some thoughts that I'll probably toss in afterwards, but I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit about how that all worked out. Um. Yeah, so I guess what we did for that, so CAD 174 is a course where the our students go through a rotation through some different trades, um, labs, plumbing, electrical, um, welding, carpentry, I think were the ones we did. Yeah, they were the ones that we um, did this year. So I'd say in all honesty, what we did in that particular course, I wouldn't quite call high flex simply because from course to course, this, or sorry, from class to class, students didn't have the option of going participating mm. one way or the other. Um, the, the middle ground that we found is that from unit to unit, they could make that choice of being face-to-face -face or online, but the online right. side was still more asynchronous than mm. synchronous. Seeing what I've seen over the last year in some of the trades programs, I think we could probably start to delve into the, the synchronous online a little bit more possibly. Uh, that, that requires some more thought. Um, but that was, again, that, that way, you know, how do you adapt in the situation when you're not in a spot where you can go and, you know, redesign a course from scratch, you know, off in some safe place and then de deliver it later. Um, but it comes around to the outcomes again yeah. and the, what are you doing it and the why and why? And we had a great conversation about that where you told me about the, uh, the five wives, the wives, wise, and, uh, and why is always a question that I come back to. And I just bet anybody has a longer conversation will tell you that. Um, why are you doing it that way? Answer that question. Why again, until we can really drill down mm -hmm. to the final answer. And so what are the outcomes about in that course? We're not trying to have students come out as journeyman carpenters or plumbers or electricians. 
in essence, what we're trying to have is them coming out of that course with a better understanding of how those trades work and what's involved in the building and construction and installation and coordination, some healthy respect for the the hand skill and knowledge that that goes on some of the nuances so that you can design better for when the products that we're designing get built. So with that in mind, do you actually need to be there holding the holding the torch or framing the wall or what have you? Or are there other ways that we can go and approach some of those outcomes just from a different direction? Mm-hmm. And the the instructors in, in those different areas were fantastic about coming up with some different types of, of projects and assignments and readings and stuff like that to go about some of those same things, but with that lens from their expertise in those different trades. Awesome. Yeah, just design better, like that phrase, design better. Like I sometimes think about high flex is flexibility for the student. I can choose if I want to be face-to-face, if I want to be online synchronous, if I want to be online asynchronous because that works for me, flexibility. But it also talks about flexibility of the instructor. Like, But but it seems outcomes-driven, and I think that's a really important thing, like outcomes-driven. Like I'm going to choose to flex how I teach based on the outcome because what's better, face-to-face, online, or high flex? Well, it all depends on the outcome. Can students achieve these? So I'm going to flex depending on, depending on what what students need to learn. And there's multiple ways to do that. Like I'm just, yeah. Every time I talk to you, I just get so uh, so excited, so impressed. You know, just and uh, you know, we have this high flex research project uh, going on. We're we're working on it right now. But the whole idea of the high flex research project is how do we how do we prepare faculty that are actually willing to make this journey. As, as Peter has said, I think, as you said so eloquently, Peter, that you can't force people on this journey. So who's willing to go on this journey and what kind of preparation do they need to go on this journey? And I, I hope that we have an opportunity to have another episode where we talk about what did we learn about mm-hmm. making sure that faculty are prepared to go on this one. Definitely. I, and the, one thing I, I find interesting in the trades, too, is we, we have a, a, our plumbers and our steam fitter pipe fitters are doing a version of high flex. Now, what I really wanted to talk about too is, and we're running out of time, so I'll be very quick, is that we just because you've got this high flex model that's out there doesn't mean we can't massage it to make it work for us in different methods and different ways. So what our steam fitter pipe fitters are doing is we're, we're calling it as a joke blend flex because what they're doing is Monday through Thursday, they're doing a high flex model. They, they're doing the videos. They're doing like check-in sessions, synchronous, asynchronous. It's all, it is legitimately following the high flex model, but because our, the AIT has some actual outcomes that require hands-on skills, then we require like one day a week them coming in. So what we're trying to do is we're, we're realizing that, that there's all these, there's some constraints that AIT or the government has given us. There's some constraints that HyFlex gives, but if we get together and get creative with it, we can make these things work. So don't be so beholden to the, the boundaries that have always been in the way use those as like those can be the barriers on the highway right but you still got a lot of road that you can weave in and out on so it's something that we could play around with and again i i'm just really i think a year from now we'll probably have a conversation of what worked what didn't high flex and trades and technology and see where we're at yeah and sally vinden has been doing some awesome stuff that way as well right like with the you know hearing about the Again, what's the outcome? Like, you, <clears throat> ultimately, I think as a student, you need to demonstrate that you have certain skills and knowledge and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And 
do you necessarily have to be in the classroom beside the instructor to demonstrate that you have that or are there other ways of having that and so when she talked about you know the videos of showing in the salon somewhere of the apprentice doing different types mm -hmm. of hairstyles right so there there's the the practice in practice oh. uh you know she talked about there are some welders that were wearing gopros to mm -hmm. so so the work they were doing right like there's i think even in the realm of trades i'm willing to bet that there's different ways i, I don't teach there so i'm so all your trades guys out there listening to me like apologize for stepping out of line but we had a wonderful I, I we had a wonderful conversation with I think her we can. so make sure if you haven't listened all of our faithful listeners mm -hmm. if you haven't listened to that fantastic episode <laughs> yeah all three of you make sure you listen to sally vin and we had that discussion she talked all about that sort of stuff but i think and honestly i think I get so excited to be involved in education, especially trades right now. And Jason and I have been part of some pretty, really super interesting conversations. And maybe that's something we need to talk about next. It's like e-portfolios, metadata badging, all that sort of stuff that is available. Because a lot of these outcomes industry can get involved in. And maybe we focus more on the theoretical side on our end. But that's a whole other conversation for another time. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. To, I'm sure we'll have another conversation because I'm interested to, to also talk about that that industry excitement that you talked about. Like we, we don't often always hear about that. Like, oh, you, they're learning teams and they're learning to learn yeah. in this way. We're excited by that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we, we've come up to time and as always, these the times go by way too quick. So we will have you back, Peter, because this is obviously just a part one of more than one part. So <laughs> thank you so much for uh, being so gracious and generous with your time. Jason, as always, it's just such a pleasure to hang out, even though sometimes it can only be online because we're so busy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, anytime. And so thank you, everybody. And we will see you all next time on the Digital Tool Crib. Hey, thanks very much, Chad and Jason. It was great.